If you're seeing this, it's because I am now a dad of two, and that means I am already as sleep-deprived as someone that has just been hit by Jigglypuff's singing. So we're taking some of these old blogs from back to the very beginning of Checkpoint before these nerdy sermons ever even existed. We are remastering them and making them for you to enjoy probably now for the first time since these blogs were only read like four or five times the first time. All this is to say that if these feel different than normal, it's because they are. But I'm excited to offer them to you anyway. Today's video is from Pokemon, one Pokemon in particular. In fact, I think everyone around my age remembers the exact moment they were first scammed out of 500 Pokecoins by the black market salesman in the Pokemon Center. But what if the story behind Magikarp is more than just some trite get good nonsense? Are you a Magikarp? Maybe you're not. Let's talk about it. Folks, welcome to Checkpoint Church, where nerds, geeks, and gamers come together to talk about faith, games, and Pokemon guides randomly telling you to use Master Ball on like a far-fetched or something. I am your nerd pastor, Nate, and if you like these weekly deep dives, be sure to sub, hit that bell, and find out when our next one drops. As always, we're going to be starting this one with our scripture. Our scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. As always, I'm going to be reading from the NRSV. It's what's going to be on the screen. If you have a translation you prefer, feel free to use that one as well. So he told them this parable, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know, I've never really liked to, like, sweat. I've heard of athletes who long for that infamous runner's high that one receives from doing a bout of really hard work. There's this neurological release of just the right stuff that gives someone a feeling of pure euphoria. I've envied it for a pretty long time. Here's the thing, though. I just, I plain old don't like the work required to do it. I can remember when I came home from college in my final year, I'd graduated in December, which was earlier than my peers and my then fiance. I had six months of living at home before I would stand before my sweetheart and pledge myself to her forever. I was also getting maybe just uh, the slightest bit <clears throat> husky. I was the heaviest I'd ever been, and I had nothing but time on my hands, so I decided, with some encouragement from a visual novel that shall not be named, that this would be the time where I would push myself to get healthy whatever that means. Every morning, I set an alarm to wake up extra early, don some warm fitness wear that I'd just procured from the Kmart, and I set myself to a daily five-mile jog to start off my day. I drank only water, treating myself to some southern sweet tea, only on a cheat day. I counted calories. I was determined, and I lost 35 pounds, was nearing my desired weight for myself. I expected this to be a dramatic turnaround in my life. I felt like I should now feel how Brad Pitt feels on a daily basis. But I never got that feeling. I never got the runner's high. And then it got hot, which for me is pretty much anything above about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. It had been pretty easy to start exercising in January. I could always just wear layers and shed the excess clothes as it warmed up. By the time mid-March hit, I was in a tank in gym shorts, and I was steaming like a Trekkie at a Star Wars convention. When push came to shove, I just didn't have the runner's high, nor did I have the motivation of the cool weather. Add on to that that I'd already met my goal, well, 
I was doomed. I stopped my workout plan post-haste. Now, contrary to the stereotypical story, I didn't put all the weight back on right away. I've gone to and fro in years since, but I've never found the same motivation that led to those five-mile jogs. There was something really special about that. These days, I'm much more likely to go on a walk as a family. Even if I don't want to, I normally wind up walking anyway because I enjoy the company that I'm with regardless of my desire for exercise. Truth be told, I don't think that exercise has even been something I'm missing. This is one of those 99 sheep, not the one that's missing from my herd. Now, before you get going, I understand that Jesus is not telling everyone in this passage to go and sign up to order a Bowflex. Or, I guess Peloton might be a more timely reference. I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm just not into exercise, so I don't even know the references. Anyway, I understand that this is not what this text is about, obviously, in the context, but isn't it though? Let's first just take this text piece by piece. So Jesus is talking to a bunch of farmers and common folk. Either these people are shepherds or they are like best friends with one, okay? Jesus is meeting these people where they are and talking to them in a parable with which they can empathize personally. The dudeski in the story has a herd of 100 sheep. One gets away for whatever reason. And Jesus does something important here. Without question, Jesus assumes that any shepherd worth his staff would go after the missing delinquent. The shepherd looks until the sheep is found. We don't get to know how long that takes. We just know that once the sheep is found, the shepherd brings the sheep back. And then things get wacky. The shepherd invites the neighborhood and throws a dog on rager for the missing sheep. Everyone that's close enough to hear, the shepherd just like shouts from the mountaintop. She's like, I found my lost sheep. And there's raucous applause. The curtains close. The audience stands, roaring applause to everything going on here. And when the story finishes, Jesus shares the moral of the story. This is how it goes when one sinful person repents and is found. From the one who's found there, in Jesus' own words, is great rejoicing, joy. Have you ever found a lost sock or managed to find your car in the parking lot after searching high and low? Did you happen to rejoice afterwards? Did you tell everyone in your life the good news? Maybe, but something tells me you probably just did like a quick like, yes, victory pose, and then moved on with your life right? We don't really get to be privy to the reaction of the audience to which Jesus speaks. I can't help but wonder what the look on their faces must have been. Were they in absolute accord with Jesus? It's like, yes, of course, we absolutely celebrate. We throw a party every time. We absolutely search for every lost sheep. We don't stop until they're found. You have the nail on the head there, Jesus. Maybe, maybe that's the truth. I'll leave that work to historical analysts. In my imagination, there's another viable possibility here. What if the crowd is just like dumbfounded? by this. Uh, hey, actually, Jesus, that's not really how any of this works. We've never done that before. This is uh, not something we normally do. That doesn't really like, like line up or mesh with how we've always done things. I think that seems more likely. Perhaps Jesus is, is not actually drawing a comparison between how things really are for the shepherds. Maybe Jesus is setting a goal to be attained from our IRL expectations. Could it be that Jesus is actually calling out the shepherds on their BS and giving them the old one-two gut punch? And now for something completely different. In the first generation of Pokemon games, Red, Blue, and Yellow, the player character is faced with a decision before they enter Mount Moon. They've come a bit of a way in their adventure. By this point, they've gained a starter, met a rival, maybe had some like low-level trainer battles, caught some bugs, maybe even a Pikachu if they knew where to look, and they've even beaten their first gym leader in Pewter City. One thing they've not done is catch a fish-type Pokemon. And so the trainer's looking through their roster, right? They have fighting type, grass, electric, normal, poison, depending on what starter they may have even chosen. They may even have water or a fire type, but they don't have anything that looks like a fish unless one counts turtles as fish in Squirtle. Are turtles fish? Turtles are not fish. Squirtle, Squirtle, Squirtle. The player then goes into the Pokemon Center outside of Mount Moon. They've just faced some really tough trainers, maybe even caught the adorable Jigglypuff. But then there is this cave that sits before them. Mystery awaits. Who knows how long we're going to be in this cave? Inside the Pokemon Center, outside the cave, waits a mysterious man who draws in the player's attention. They get 
Kid, come here. The grungy man whispers, I'll, I'll let you in on a secret Pokemon. A Magikarp. Just 500 Pokemon. The player's palms are sweaty with uncertainty. What decision could be the right one? 500 Pokecoin is a pretty penny. Not so much that we can't afford it. Not to mention the opportunity to just buy a Pokemon. <laughs> That's not been an option up until this point in the game. What have we got to lose, right? We hand over those 500 Pokemon to the crook who snickers as the exchange takes place. No refunds, kid. The player looks at the Magikarp. They see this dopey, weak Pokemon who doesn't even have any moves that can do damage. This means that the one process that might allow this Pokemon to level up is taken away. We can't damage anything. The only way to raise the Magikarp's level is to put it out first, then do a quick swap to another Pokemon team member, sharing the experience points between both of them, halving them in the process, which is an irritating process to say the least. Now here lies an impasse. The player character must make a choice. Do we call it a loss? Put the Magikarp in the box? Never use him again? Or do we grin and bear the process, raising that Magikarp level by level until something changes in the pointless little fish? Most players likely knew enough going into this encounter and cleverly avoided the temptation here, realizing a Magikarp can be caught pretty easily later in the game. Similarly, any players that took the bait and purchased the Magikarp likely just put the weakling aside. Survival of the fittest, right? But what if there's a third possibility that gives my childlike heart a twirl? It really leans into the meta story being told here. What about the rare player that truly went into the Pokemon game entirely blind, fell for the trick, and perseveres in training that Magikarp? Imagine if you will, their face at the moment that everything changes. The person sits for likely hours, or at least what feels like hours to a kid, grinding away at the system, leveling up their Pokemon again and again. Level 10 for Magikarp, no change. Level 15 for Magikarp, no change. Level 19, there's still no change. That's a lot of experience points. We're wondering if anything's ever going to happen for this Magikarp. And suddenly, right when they're ready to call it quits, one more level. Magikarp reaches level 20. That goofy-looking goldfish starts to glow with that classic iridescent white. Behind the light, the fish warps, mashes, and molds in the same evolutionary cycle animation that the player has seen from their strongest team members. And then, with unbridled glee, the player lets out a scream of delight as the light fades and reveals a gigantic sea serpent with piercing features, gnarly fangs, and a cool blue scaly exterior. The little 22-pound fish from just moments ago has transformed into a 21-foot-long, 518-pound atrocity known as Gyarados. All that hard work is made evident in the reward of one of the stronger Pokemon in the first generation. Now continue to imagine with me what might happen next. Does this happen on the playground at school? Do they go and tell every other kid who's out there trading baseball cards? Do they even tell their unsuspecting teacher who doesn't have an ever-loving idea what's going on? Do they go to the principal's office to call home, tell their mom, dad, siblings, whoever will listen to the good news? Do they climb to the top of the monkey bars and exclaim that they're now the proud owner of a Gyarados? Confession time. I've always felt bad for the 99 sheep in Jesus' parable. I've always thought that I'm likely one of them. I've been in the church my whole life. I've been a Christian pretty much the whole time. Sure, I waver, I falter, I sin, I make mistakes, but most of my life, I've probably been one of the 99. Why should the one who wanders away get all the rejoicing? Why should they get to enjoy the party? Why does the shepherd tell everyone about them? If we're being honest, I would wager many of us have felt that way before. Why would someone else get rewarded if we're the ones putting in all the effort? We're doing it right. I get that. And I think so did Jesus. I'm certain there were some in the crowd who were hearing this message from Jesus that day and knew what Jesus was doing. Some of these folks had worked all of their lives following the Jewish law to the letter. And then Jesus comes along, starts spouting out all this nonsense about love, welcoming, an inclusive God who wants to welcome in the sinner, the tax collector, and the prostitute. Why should we worry about the one who's lost? 
Why should we even bother with some weak and measly Magikarp? Why should I care one iota about getting physical exercise without feeling that rewarding serotonin-like euphoria? Simply put, it's because of the 99. The reason that Jesus tells us this story is not because the one is more special or less worth it. It's because of the great reunion that happens between the one and the 99. There's a gift in the return. The climactic moment that the division ends and the two become one in pure joy. With Jesus, there's no either-or scenario. There's no us versus them. None of that exists. And because of that, we should be in a state of absolute rejoicing. What does this mean for us during the time of Advent when this was originally written? This might be the most important word for those of us in the United States of America as we contemplate the act of preparing for Jesus' return. There's a great deal of rejoicing that happens when the two become one, when the division ends, when acceptance and love are shared between others. As for this pastor's view on the current state of society, I see no current reason at all for rejoicing, right? I've never seen more division. I've never seen more hatred. Whether it's found in the hands of the one or the 99 doesn't really matter at this point. The real question is this, are we even trying to find the one anymore? Are we out seeking or have we given up? Have we been convinced that Gyarados just isn't even worth it? Should I just give up on my health and my walkings? Friends, I don't want you to think that I'm making some kind of bold political declaration. My statement is deeper and more important than even anything tangentially related to politicking. Compared to the level of importance of Jesus' standard of rejoicing, politics are a child's plaything. I want us to consider where the one sheep might be in our lives, in our families even, in our communities, in our country, in our world. I want us to think of what we're really called to in this life. When Jesus calls us to love God and to love our neighbor, where are we simply falling short? Where have we stopped looking? Jesus may seem to assume that the shepherd searches until the sheep is found. But if we're being honest, we know that that isn't the case. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your bubble. Seek out the joy that can only come from a joy of people together. Seek out the joy of us. So whether you're a starter Pokemon, a legendary, or that hard-earned Gyarados, know that you're always welcome at Checkpoint Church. Folks, thank you so much for watching this video. I so appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us on these weekly deep dives. We are usually streaming on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays over on Twitch, but right now with Journey to Leave, things are kind of up in the air, but I would still love for you to join us over on our Discord where you can get all of the information that is going on right now at Checkpoint Church. It'll be where we are, what we're doing, what's going on right now in our current week cycle. I would highly recommend you check out that. Both of those will be linked down below. Hey, Quick question for you. What was your very first Pokemon game? For me, mine was blue, and I definitely was not the kid that fell for the Magikarp prank. I wasn't, okay? With that, let's end this video as we always do with our three things that we believe to about every single one of you out there watching this video. Regardless of if you believe in God, don't believe in God, go to church, don't go to church, like church, don't like church, none of those things change these three things that we believe to be true about every person watching this at any given point. Number one, we believe that God loves you, like really, really loves you. Number two, we love you. We want community with you. And number three, we believe that you, yes, you matter. You are a person of sacred worth. The world is a better place. Why? because you are in it. Folks, with that, I thank you so much for watching these. I look forward to seeing you either over on our Twitch or on our Discord or back here, same time, same place for our next Nerdy Sermon next week. With that, I hope that things go good for you. Be well. Bye-bye. You guys like the cracking noise? How does it sound over the fancy microphone? That used to be how I would do the Predator. And I used to tell people that I could uh, pop my neck like that.